praise and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd been praying about what to talk about after Easter, and, and my intention was to go right on into the book of Second Peter. But I didn't feel settled about that. As, as the, the more I prayed about it, the more um, I felt it, it an un, unease about that. And uh, so I started combing through the Gospels a little bit and, and just praying over some of the passages and some of the words of our Savior. And the Lord laid uh, this on my heart. And over the next few weeks, I want us to spend some time talking about the hard sayings of Jesus. And in those verses that Cindy just shared with you, we see an example of Jesus speaking truths that, that, that graded on some hearts. And at the end of the day, there were some who just turned and walked away. They didn't believe. They, they, they decided they were out. This was too much for them. As we read the Gospels, this happens more than what we realize. Jesus says things that either anger people, confuse people, or, or, or just outright cause people to say, "There's no, just, I can't do this, I won't do this, I'm out. And over the next few weeks, I want us to look at some of those passages. You know, Easter Sunday is always a day of mixed emotions for me. I, I love seeing the room filled. I love hearing the voices louder than normal singing praises. I love seeing faces that I haven't seen in a while. But the, there's, always, there's always that uh, a little bit of sadness mixed in with the joy. Of course, the celebration of the resurrection is front and center. There's always some sadness mixed in there because I know that there's, there's some who are here on Easter that I, I won't see again until maybe next Christmas, but probably not again until next Easter. That's just the reality. That's how things are. I think every pastor wrestles with that. But it struck me in a powerful way this week as I was reflecting on just the importance of being a part of the family of God, the importance of listening to what Jesus calls us to and, and the hard words that he said that I think even to this day cause others to turn back. There's a temptation for us to pass by the hard words of Jesus, to skim over them and to try to get to the things that we understand or that make us feel good. And to be sure, there are, there's so much about the life of Christ and we've talked about that, the, the ways in which he shows compassions to, compassion to sinners, that he calls all those who are weary and heavy laden to come to him, and he offers rest for our souls. But then there are also verses that Jesus, uh, verses that give us words of Jesus that, that, are, that are really, really challenging. Some of it is because it's difficult to understand. We've all read some of those parables, or he'll, he'll, he'll say something, and we're like, what in the world does that mean? What is he getting at there? And it takes some investigation and maybe understanding the, 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 the first century culture and, and, and understanding the context. But then there are some things that we don't have to, we're not really confused about what they mean. We're just, they're just hard to hear. They're blunt. They're they're. They're honest. They, they, they demand much. And those words are the ones that I think most of us, if we're honest, feel the most tempted to skim by. And this morning we want to look 
I kind of begin this series by looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In Matthew chapter 7, of course, we're right near the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. It started back at the beginning of chapter 5. And again, with the Sermon on the Mount, there are some, some really heartwarming things that are said, that, that are taught in, in, the, on the, in that sermon. And, and there are things that, like, when he's talking about being salt and light, we're like, yes, I want to be salt in this world. I want to be light. I, I want to be a, a beacon for the good news for Jesus Christ. But then there are some things that we get to in, in this sermon that, that cause us to step back and pause. In verses 13 and 14, is, it's one of those places And he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. The first thing that we want to look at here is this broad road. Jesus describes the the journey that we're all on as travelers, and, and, I, and I like the metaphor, I like that word picture, because life is a journey, and, and he's, he's telling us here that there are, there's, there, there's two roads that we can be traveling down, and the first one is a, is a broad road. It's, it's wide. There's a lot of room. There's a lot of room. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, it, it, there have been times where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving down uh, a, a freeway or... or um, you know, a busy stretch of road, and it's nice to have some extra lanes that we're not all crammed into just one or two lanes. It's nice to have a little extra elbow room when you're driving out on the road. I don't, I don't like to be stuck in traffic. I mean, we all live in Clare. Like when we, you know, you get you get Mount Pleasant at lunchtime, and we're like, that's that's crazy traffic down there. You know, like it was we we get stuck behind a buggy. That's big traffic for us. Like we, but when you know when you're when you're in a, in, a, in a big city, it's nice to have some extra lanes to be able to spread out. And, and here, there's this wide road that Jesus speaks about, and he does not speak about it in positive terms. He said, this broad road has many on it. Uh, this is the most occupied stretch of highway on life's highway. He says, the word here uh, translated um, broad, it can be, uh, some of your translations say easy, spacious, roomy. This is, this is the place where most travelers are traveling. This is the most convenient route through life. But Jesus tells us here that this road leads to destruction. This is the end of the highway. This is, this is the destination for every single person on this road is destruction. And to spell that out, because you can see it from Luke chapter 13, where, where he tells the story from a little bit different, with, with some different language. He's talking about hell. He's talking about eternal separation from God. This, this is the destination of the travelers on this road. Now, we're going to come back to this uh, after we contrast it with the narrow road. But secondly, he speaks of another road. He says, enter through the narrow gate. And he says, 
In verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So on one hand, we have many traveling the broad road, few that find the narrow road. There's there's an immediate contrast here. Most travelers, most people in this world are going down this easy, wide road that leads to the broad, wide open gate. And few find the narrow road. Does this make sense? It's, it's a pretty straightforward illustration here that Jesus is giving us. He says, and I, we're, we're going to see this over and over again in the next few weeks. Jesus was not concerned about getting, like, getting likes on Facebook, on accumulating casual followers. He didn't just want uh, rear ends in the pew. Like, he wasn't just about getting crowds. Jesus never, ever, ever tickled ears or said things that people wanted to hear. Jesus always said the things that people needed to hear. And some of them were very, very difficult. And he makes it very plain in verse 14. Listen, if you're following me, it's a narrow road and it's difficult. It's not easy. That word difficult can mean to suffer trouble or hardship, to be pressed. In fact, it's the word used in Mark chapter 3, verse 9, when it, spokes of, uh, it speaks of Jesus telling his disciples to get, in, get into a boat so that the crowd wouldn't crush him, the translation says. This is that same word here that Jesus is using, that when you take the narrow path, you're going to experience this crushing, this, this difficulty, this challenge. Following Jesus is costly. And again, we're going to unpack this more and more in the coming weeks. We're going to see some of the parables he told and, and some of the, the metaphors that he uses to make it very clear that you, you, don't, just, you don't just casually follow Jesus. You don't just say, I'm going to do this because i got nothing better to do. I'm going to do this because it seems like the hip thing to do. You follow Jesus because he is your all in all. You follow Jesus because, like we sang this morning, we stand in awe of him. He's not looking for people to to follow after him who are are half-hearted about it, who have one foot in and another foot in the world. Jesus said the stark reality is, is that few end up finding this path. There's another verse that Jesus uses, where Jesus uses similar language, and it can be found in John 14. We'll have it on the screen, but you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. I feel like this, this gives a little bit, adds a little bit more of maybe some more fullness to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. Most of us are familiar with the beginning of John 14. It's the don't let your hearts be troubled passage. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The night before he's going to the cross, he's giving these words of comfort and assurance to his disciples. And Thomas pipes up and says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? We want to we go where you're going. 
We want to go to this place that you're preparing for us, but how do we know the way there? And Jesus, in one of his famous I am statements, says this, I am the way, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The audaciousness, the arrogance that Jesus would say that he's the only way to the Father? Come on, there are so many other religious teachers. There are so many other worldviews to say that the path to the Father goes through him and him alone? What arrogance! Unless, unless it's true, unless he's offering us the only way to the Father. You see, I was trying to think of maybe an illustration that would make sense to us. I know we have a lot of hunters in this room. And, and let's say that your, your buddy has said that you could go sit in his, his best deer blind, his secret spot. He's never let anybody hunt out. Now, I know this is a fictional story, okay? We all know that nobody does that. But let's just say, by way of illustration, that your buddy is going to let you hunt in his secret spot with these gigantic monsters just lurking out there, huge bucks. And he gives you directions to his blind. He doesn't have time to walk you out there, but he's going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the indicators, all the trees that you need to see, all the little markers. And he says, listen to me very carefully. If you don't stay on the path, you will never get to the place that you want to go. Just trust me, this, wood, this is thick through here. There are all kinds of places to get lost, and you need to follow the instructions very carefully or you will not get there. Would you look at your buddy and say, well, that's arrogant of you. I've got to do this your way? No. You're like, I want to be there. I want to be in that blind. And he's made it very clear that there's one path that goes to his blind. And if I deviate from the path, I won't get to where I want to go. You see, Jesus knows where we need to go. He knows that we need to be on that narrow path. And he says, if you want to get on the path, you have to come through me. He actually says it elsewhere in another one of his I am statements. He says, I am the gate. So he says, I'm the gate and I am the way. If you want to get to the Father, you have to go through me. Depending on your point of view, depending on where you're standing, <clears throat> it's either incredibly arrogant to say there's no other way to the Father but through Him. That you're bypassing all these other religious teachers and worldviews and you're saying they're wrong and there's one right way. And it's incredibly arrogant. Or it's unbelievably loving that He pointed you to the very precise path that you need to be on to get there. And depending on how you look at it will depend, it, 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 will, it will set the course for eternity for you. That's fine. You can call Jesus arrogant all you want. But if he's pointing you to the right path, the only path to the Father, then it's unbelievably loving. And there are many in our world today who think that, 
that, that it's, it's fine. I can take any path as long as I'm sincere in my beliefs. As, as long as I'm passionate about them, God will accept me. Jesus says, I am the way. R.C. Sproul tells a story where he says that he once took a college class that was taught by a teacher who was openly hostile to the Christian faith. He said, this teacher never missed an opportunity to attack Christianity in her classroom. He said, so I tried to meld into the woodwork to escape the arrows of her wrath. Well, one day, however, she called on him in, in front of the whole class. She said, Mr. Sproul, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? He says, I knew how she felt about any exclusive claims to Jesus, so I knew I was caught between a rock and a hard place. If I said what I believed, I would experience an avalanche of wrath from the instructor. But if I didn't say what I believed, I'd be guilty of nothing less than treason before the king of kings. I mumbled an answer, but she said, what was that? So I said, yes, ma'am, I do believe that Jesus is the only way of God. And just as he thought, she went into a fit of rage that spilled out on him. She said, that's the most narrow-minded, arrogant, bigoted thing I've ever heard a student say. The rest of the class, he says, glared at me as she heaped her scorn on me. He goes on to say, after the class, I was walking out the door and she stopped me and said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be so hard on you, but I just can't understand how anyone would be that narrow-minded. He said, I told her, well, I hope you can understand my problem. I've been persuaded that Christ is the Son of God. I'm a Christian. There's nothing more foundational to Christianity than the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if I believed that Jesus was the only way to God because it happened to be my way, the unspoken premise of my logic was that R.C. Sproul believes must, by logical necessity, be the only way to think. Then I would agree with your assessment. I would be unspeakably arrogant, bigoted, and narrow-minded. But I hope you understand why I believe that Jesus is the only way. It's because that Jesus said he was the only way. And if I deny that, I deny him. My brothers and sisters, God has not pointed us to one way because he is unloving, because he is narrow-minded. He's pointed us to one way precisely because he does love us. He wants us on the path that will lead to him. Jesus also said not only that he's the way, but he's the truth. Jesus is the one who tells us the truth about God, about us, about this world we live in. Jesus is the penultimate truth teller. He never tells a lie. He never misrepresents the Father. He never never whitewashes things or never misleads in any way. He is the way and the truth. D.A. Carson has said that Jesus is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. He himself narrates God, says and does exclusively what the Father has given him to say and do. There is no other way. The great truth teller. And then finally he says that he is the life. Jesus is the life. He's the source of of all of our existence, all of our participation in God, in Him we find everything that we need. Peter tells us that He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through Christ. Jesus said that I came to give life, life abundant. He is the way, He is the truth, 
and he is the life. You see here from a verse like this that, that Jesus is our all in all. And it's precisely because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He can say this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 puts it this way, there is salvation in no one else for there is none other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. It can't be found anywhere or any, any place else. Jesus is the only one who can rescue our souls and bring us to the Father. This is, by definition, a very narrow way to think. I concede that. But if it's true, isn't this the path we want to be on? Isn't the path to life, to hope, the one that you and I want to be walking down? Not our own path, not some other worldview, not some other perspective. I love how Thomas Akempis, over 700 years ago, over 600 years ago, my math's wrong, wrote this, follow thou me, I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. Jesus came to offer us life. He's the truth, but it's through him. He's the only way. So to bring this together with Matthew chapter 7, I just want to conclude with a, with a few applications. The first off is to state the obvious, that there are far more people on the wide path than on the narrow path. Jesus is very, very clear about that. Many find the path. Let me say this as gently but as strongly as I, as I can. Statistically speaking, some of us here this morning are on the wide path. Just because we're in a church doesn't automatically put us on the narrow path. Being on the narrow path, as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, means several things. It means placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. It means following him. We're going to see that it, it means bearing fruit. We're going to see that it means taking up our cross. It, we're going to see that it means being willing to suffer for him. We're called to walk on this narrow path, but he says only a few find it. And he says, because this is hard. Following Jesus is hard. In the, in the passage that, that Cindy read for us, as, as many of these followers heard the teachings of Jesus, it says simply that they just walked away and they no longer followed him. I meet so many people who profess to be saved but through their life, it seems as though they've walked away. 
They're trusting in a prayer that they prayed 20 or 30, 40, 50 years ago, but there's no indication that they're still walking on that narrow path. I'm going to give you a hint here that if following Jesus is relatively easy for you, you're not likely on the narrow path. He said this path is hard. It comes with persecution and ridicule from those who are outside of Christ, those who are on the wide path. It it, it comes with demands of our life, our affections. If following Jesus is a piece of cake for you, maybe an inconvenience here or there, but it really makes, he really makes no austere demands of your time, your money, your, your life, your, your thoughts, then you're, you're probably not on the narrow path. You've found a path that's much easier. And, and we live in a culture, I know I've said this, but I, I can't say it enough. We live in a culture where it's, it's still pretty acceptable and pretty safe to have one foot in the world and one foot out. In some places in this country, and certainly places around the world, it's very clear. The people who are on the wide path and the people who are on the narrow path, there's no questioning. But you see, in our culture, you can be on the wide path and talk about going to church on Sunday. You could be on the wide path and even talk about reading your Bible. You can be on the wide path and talking about, have conversations about believing in God. Because we live in a culture, by and large, where it's okay. I mean, again, I know, I know that that's changing and everything, but we're in a pretty conservative pocket of this culture, and so we're, we're okay with, like, yeah, I went to church on Sunday, and then, like, it made no difference in my life throughout the week. And then, yeah, I showed up again the following Sunday. Maybe, maybe skipped a few or, you know, read my Bible here and there, read this little quick devotional that pops up on my phone. But th- there's no real demands there. There's just little, like, shout-outs to Jesus. But it's not a way of living that demands much. I don't, I don't want, I don't, believe me, I don't want persecution. I don't want our religious freedoms to be stripped away. I kind of like being able to gather together and not have to worry about the doors getting kicked down with secret police busting in. I, I, do, I do appreciate that. But there is something about persecution and suffering that brings all of this into very clear focus. Because you're not going to, You're not just going to show up casually if you're not all in. If it means your life, if it means loss of friendships, family, jobs, social status, perhaps money, then you're not going to dabble in this Christian thing, in this Jesus thing. You're just going to be like, I'm taking the wide path. It's way easier. People don't Target me, I'm not going to get ridiculed. It's even kind of fun. Jesus calls us to follow him. 
He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's true of you, if Jesus truly is your way to the Father, your only way to the Father, if he is the truth that trumps all other truth, if he is the true life giver, then your life will look different. Walking on that narrow path will produce a different kind of person. One who looks a lot more like Jesus day by day as we remain on that path. I think the temptation when we read these verses is to think, man, this is what my neighbor needs to hear. I know some unbelievers that could really use a message like this. That's, that's good. And, and let's, let's continue to pray for those who don't know Christ. But let's not miss the opportunity to step back and hear the words of Jesus. Remember that this passage... Not only in John 14 was spoken to his disciples, but in, in Matthew 7, he's speaking to, to people who, who knew about God. Maybe many who were faithful about being in the synagogue. Perhaps there were even some religious leaders present during this sermon. There likely were. In some ways, he was preaching to the choir. He was preaching to God's chosen people, the Jews, God's covenant people. And, and there would have been a temptation to think, we're okay. We're doing all right. It's the sinners that need to hear this message. And the same is true today. There's a temptation to read verses 13 and 14 and say, yeah, this is a, this is a message that the people out there need to hear. My brothers and sisters, let's, let's stop and ask God to examine our hearts. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, test yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. That's a sobering exhortation. If our lives don't look like someone who's, who's on the path, the narrow path, then we should be shaken. We should be concerned. This is a matter of our eternal destiny. You can, you can choose to agree with me or not agree with me. You can choose to say that this is fine for somebody else. That's okay. It's up to you. All I'm telling you is what, what Jesus is saying here. Only those on the narrow path find the Father. Some of you I know extremely well. Others of you I barely know at all. But I can say this honestly from the bottom of my heart. I, I want each of you to be on the narrow path. There's not one of us who should be okay with being wrong about this. This has to do with our souls and where we will spend eternity. It's not just a, huh, okay, that's a nice passage. It's, are you on the narrow path or are you on the wide path? Are you on the path to life or are you on the path 
to hell and destruction. And Jesus said that it's only through him you get on the narrow path. Here's what that means as we close. It means believing that he is who he claimed to be. He's God. I and the Father are one, he said. All throughout the Gospels and then throughout the letters in the New Testament, it's explained more deeply and more fully that Jesus was God who became flesh, who took on human form to come and live among us, be one of us. And as we celebrated and remembered last week, he went to the cross to bear our sins. You and I, the Bible says, by nature, of, by default of being on this wide path, we're sinners. We, we need our sin taken care of. It has to be paid for. And Jesus did that on the cross. And through faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done on the cross and through his resurrection, we can enter into this way, this truth, this life. We can experience him. And, and to show that that experience is genuine, he talks about walking on this path. And as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, he, he's going to talk about fruit that will give evidence that you are on the path. The fruit doesn't get you on the path. Our works don't get you through the gate. Only Jesus gets us through the gate. But that fruit, he will go on to say, needs to be there as demonstration that you're on the right path. And if there's no fruit, there should be some cause for concern that maybe you've been misled. My brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you have walked through the gate of Jesus, through faith in him, through treasuring Jesus as your all in all, and that you walk that narrow path, being willing by his power to forsake everything and follow him, to bear your cross and follow him to forsake everything and be all in with Him. You don't do this by sheer force of will, but through the power of the Holy Spirit within you, He enables us to walk with Him, to remain faithful. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about faithfulness. If you, if you need prayer for anything, there'll be a few of us up front who would love to pray with you. But especially if God's stirring in your heart, and you're wondering about which path you're on, we would love to talk with you more and pray with you. This, this is the decision of all decisions. This is the choice of all choices. Nothing's going to trump this. Who you marry, big decision. What you're going to do for work, where you're going to live, all those are big decisions. But there's no more important decision than whether or not You'll walk on the narrow path or take the easy way. Let's take some time to pray and ask God to point us to that narrow path. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing just how desperately we need Jesus for our everything. God, God I, I, I can't see hearts from up here. <laughs> Even if we're closer, I can't see hearts. You can. 
tell us in your word, you're the one who searches our hearts. And Father, I want to ask that you would do a mighty work in each and every person in this room. For those who are walking on the narrow path, would you give them just an overwhelming affirmation in their hearts? Would you encourage them to remain faithful despite all the temptations to leave that, that trail, that narrow trail? But Father, for any of us here this morning who are walking on the wide path, oh God, in your kindness, give them no such assurance. In your love for them, may you reveal, re remove false confidence, false trusts. May you take away the veil from their eyes like Paul talks about with the Corinthians. And may we see if we've been deluded by the world, if we've been inoculated by being able to show up here at church occasionally or maybe even regularly but not be truly following you. God, would you convict us and draw us to yourself. May we see the beauty of your son. May we see that he's worth everything. May we truly see him as the way, the truth, and the life is the only way to you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now may the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep restore your soul, lead you in right paths, walk beside you in the dark valley, and bring you safely home to the home of the Lord forevermore. Amen.